Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Racing Lives. My name's Aurélie, Aurélie Donzelot, and in this podcast, I use motorsport as an excuse to chat to some of the most inspiring women I know. Each week brings a different guest, and we discuss everything, from career beginnings to what it's truly like to be involved in one of the fastest sports in the world. My guest today has a photo collection featuring some of the most iconic cars ever made. What's more special about this photo collection, however, is that she took every single one. She's indeed a photographer, and a bloody good one at that. She has carved a career from showcasing beautiful machinery while passionately finding brilliant stories about their owners or drivers. She is able to capture the essence of both human and object, and it comes across in every single one of her photographs. She's someone whose work I have admired for a very long time, and we finally got the chance to collaborate at the end of last year after months of talking about it. We had a great time, thankfully so did our models, and the work produced was simply beautiful. You can find it everywhere on Instagram if you look up the team I work for. I know you've seen those photos already. My guest today is the wonderfully brilliant Amy Shaw. Oh, I like that. <laughs> You're all right. You do the same as me. Where ha- we have like the, the 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 podcast voice that you 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 talk about and you, yeah. <laughs> the, and the one I'm working on now, one is not blow up the microphone, but the others is just don't go um every two seconds and then right delete start again and you're yep. like ah, hello welcome hi everyone <laughs> <laughs> exactly and also your that podcast voice just then was so oh it's like caramel to my ears it's you should i'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your uh, your episodes now now tell me amy i'm gonna have to adapt this question because it's not fair to okay. talk about racing i normally ask my guests when and where did your racing life begin which would be a smidgen of your beautiful career. So when did your automotive life career, um, automotive life begin? Oh, my automotive life or automotive life career, because it became a lifestyle and a career at the same time, uh, would have been literally as I graduated. So I think I know, 2013, so seven years ago this uh, this summer. So it's coming up, yeah, coming up to seven years. Yeah, no, I, I basically graduated and then fell into being a car photographer. So it was all, a, yeah, a bit of a uh, 
an immediate kind of thing, really. I, w- I had no intention of, um, of becoming a car photographer at all. I just got my uh, degree in the uh, very helpful degree of silversmithing. So jewellery making and stuff like that, which I have not touched since. And I was terrible at it anyway. So I don't think I'd ever get hired doing it. So. <laughs> Hang on a second. Backtrack. <laughs> So absolutely no photography growing up or no, what came first actually, first of all, your passion or your enjoyment of cars or things on wheels, because actually you love bikes as well, or photography. And at what point did you realize one of the two? (laughs) So uh, cars had always been around me since I was born because my dad's a big car nut and motorcycle guy and and worked for, uh, for Team Lotus Formula One back in the 80s. So cars had always been kind of a thing. And, but I'd never really had an interest. They were just around. And then um, I, I suppose my interest for photography came really when I was about 15, 16 years old. And my dad had just got his first DSLR camera that he was really you know, happy with because he loves to take pictures and so does. And he's an artist and loves to paint. And then, yeah, when I was 16, he and my mom got me my first camera uh, when I was, yeah, for my birthday. And I just kind of love playing around with it since I'm really I'm quite an impatient person so I like the fact especially with digital photography you can click a button and you've created a thing immediately there's no waiting or no kind of time spent on it or you know it's it's really an, an endorphin kind of buzz because it's like I made a thing it's right here I just did that <laughs> so that's kind of where it started and then I don't know the car side of things um I mean my first car that I bought myself was a classic mini and I still have it. So I got that when I was 19. And the main reason I got that was because my brother had bought himself one because he was more into cars at that time. And I got jealous and I thought, you know what, that's really cool. I want one. And we knew that our dad is uh, is, is quite good at, at fixing cars as well. So we were like, cool, we can get a classic car. He can fix it. <laughs> So that's really the the beginning of my car love, probably at the age of 19. And um, yeah, then it wasn't until I graduated at 22, I think it would have been, 23. And that's when cars became a thing because uh, friends of my dad's had built this uh, this replica Ferrari P4 and just wanted photographs of what they had built. And, you know, just literally bits of suspension and, you know, angles of the car and um they knew that I was into photography and at that time I I just bought myself a, a big camera or we bought what I like to say a, a proper professional camera that cost me quite a bit of money and I thought oh you know because maybe I'll be able to do some photography work at weekends that was always my plan like kind of a topping up pocket money kind of photography work I never ever 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 thought that this would be a full-time job so yeah I was shooting a few weddings at that time and then, yeah, they just asked me to, to shoot this car. And that was probably the beginning of it all. And then, yeah, my dad said, I know you really like atmosphere. I can take you to the Goodwood Revival because this is an event I think you'll really enjoy, even though you're not that into cars, but it's got such a wicked atmosphere. And yeah, so those two things together happened in the space of about a month. And that shot off my car career. And within two years, three years, I was having too much work and and needed to cut out either the weddings or the cars and I chose to cut the weddings and stick with the cars and motorcycles which is definitely the best decision I made. (laughs) Yeah I can vouch for that definitely. (laughs) How quickly did you realize that that could be a career because you you did reference you said you fell into it but I don't think that's true I think you saw work coming to you and you loved it and you know got into it is that a fair assessment and then obviously you have made a career out of it which not everyone can do not everyone is successful at doing that 
I think it was more of a fun opportunities came up and I just thought that sounds like fun yeah I'll do that and I never like I, I think I had a level of kind of realistic thought that yes I'll probably will end up doing wedding photography as my like photography career or at least half of whatever career I did and the cars and motorcycles it was more of a this is fun right now. I have no expectations of how far this is going to go. It was basically somebody was willing to pay me some money to take some pictures. And yeah, at the time, my very first client after all of this happened was um, an American website. And they didn't pay very much money. But I got to kind of shoot some cool cars. And it was more of a, you know, it, just being able to have some freelance work. I was getting used to being a freelancer, still living with my mom and dad. And yeah, that's kind of, it was, it was more regular, but little jobs. So that's kind of, yeah, how it started. And then it was over time, people saw these images that I was producing. And honestly, social media was a massive impact on how my car career picked up and yeah, completely shot off and snowballed really, because the people that I was shooting for had quite big followings on social media and at the time it wasn't Instagram it was Facebook and it was uh yeah so I thought okay then people seem to be following now for for car work more than weddings but what's funny is that some people would actually hire me for their weddings because they'd seen my car work first and then thought oh I'm getting married and you've also shoot weddings this is helpful (laughs) I think I've seen also you you were asked for um famous racing drivers christening Yes. Yep. So I've, uh, I've done that recently. And that, that was because that, again, that's something I don't really do now. But then I was like, Oh, it's you go on then. And uh, I've actually so I photographed um, another very famous racing driver, um, it, the uh, John Surtees, I photographed his we- his daughter's wedding. And that was really cool and quite special. Yeah, so it's weird this this kind of crossover of worlds sometimes. Well, and it's also we talk about you focusing on cars, but I actually I don't I, I would never call you an, a car photographer because you you spend as much time finding out about the person that's related to the car and photographing them as well and actually creating beautiful stuff with both the car and the owner or the driver or the model that we've brought in. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly that. That is like people say, uh, well, I tell people I'm a car photographer and I think what goes into their head, especially if you're not in the car world, is I take pictures of cars in a nice spot and that is that. But that is almost such a small part of the job that I actually do. And it is mainly the people in the car world that I focus on and the atmosphere and the excitement and the adventures way more than the cars. And yeah, it's, um, that's mainly what, what, what my work is. I think I'm a people photographer. It just happens to be in the, in the car world. What about motorsport? What's your relationship like with the sporting side of cars and bikes? The motorsport side is a little bit different because it's a lot of it, I think, is focused around what's going on the track, obviously. So for me, the uh, I've had actually very little involvement so far. So actually the people behind it, so photographing for, you know, Renault and and the drivers and then I've also done Ferrari and their drivers so you know I just went straight into the deep end really with motorsport (laughs) with Formula One drivers um and then track side of things I did get offered to to pitch to follow a team a Formula E team around for a season and I had to really really think about it because I thought this could be really fun and amazing or it could stop me from doing other things which I really want to do because 
the motorsport side is something that I'm, I'm, I'd like, I really enjoy, but again, I like the people side. I want to get that pit action and, you know, all the, that side and the, the emotions and the actual track side stuff is not really my interest. And I don't want to accidentally get sucked into that and think, oh, I'm not enjoying this as much as I would enjoy photographing people. So it's something I'd love to get more involved with, but definitely more the, the human side, I think. And yeah, like the engineers and not just the drivers and just, you know, the, the anxious faces watching the TVs and all of those side of things I'd really enjoy doing. I mean, that's definitely my favourite side, but I'm completely biased. <laughs> but you, you were also a very good photographer yourself. And I look at your images and think, oh, yeah, that looks cool. Oh, she's so lucky she gets to be there to photograph this. And I know that in reality, you are rushed off your feet. And this is probably like a two minute like downtime you've got while you're having a cup of tea. But yeah, the photographs you get in those two minutes are beautiful. So yeah, kudos. Oh, thank you. What would you say is the biggest misconception about your job? The, the Probably the biggest one might be similar to you, actually. People think that just because your job is fun, that it's always easy and you always love every minute of it. And I can't deny, I really do love my job and I think it's such a good laugh. But there are definitely days where I'm super stressed or I really don't want to go to work or I hate it. But I think the the thing I'm very lucky about it to feel is that most of the those times well they're very they're very few and far between. But it was quite difficult, especially when I was living at home with my with my parents. That I'd be going on these really fun shoots and you know having a ch- chatting away with some cool people, and then my mom saw this and was like, "Oh, that's not proper work. You're not are you doing work? Are you just faffing about?" And I was like, "No, this is work." And it was hard to kind of justify that just because I was loving what I was doing and having such fun that it did count as work. I think people have got in their minds so much now that work has to be something that we don't all enjoy or we just tolerate or most of us hopefully just kind of, yeah, it's nice. It's something I have to do. Whereas this is something where I really love it and I, to be able to get paid to do it and, and survive off it is, I, I feel so, so lucky about, um, yeah, about that. You actually touched on stress, which is something that I'm always really keen to discuss in this podcast. How do you experience stress in your job? And then how do you actually also handle it? Uh, st- uh, so stress, I get I get really stressed when I'm when I'm kind of, especially over, over the usual, well, this is the funny thing. This summer is a bit of a different summer to uh, normal summers. So whilst we are in a little bit of a world pandemic, at the minute, this is the most relaxed I've been in a summer for, well, six years. So <laughs> I think it's when you're working like, 80 to 100 hours a week, whether that is traveling or emailing, shooting, editing, I find that very stressful. But again, at the same time, I love it because I love the traveling and I love doing the actual job. And I think the biggest stress for me would be emails because it's the thing I'm slowest at replying. And I know that it's, you know, potential clients. And yeah, I, I, I can get very homesick as well, which causes a stressor. And then it just these things can also have quite a, a heavy effect on my own health and but both physical and mental health. And so trying to manage that it can be a little bit difficult. So what's really sweet is that I started to get really busy in February this year before everything. It was like, wow, this, this is too early to be this busy. And my mom sent me without I didn't know she was going to send it. She sent me a little letter, like a handwritten letter saying that, you know, I know that you get really stressed. Please don't take on too much work if you're really struggling. And she sent me like a four pack of, of Rolos chocolates. So just be like, here you are. <laughs> so she was so sweet and, you know, always want to make sure, wants to make sure that I'm that I'm OK. And yeah. And then, I mean, I have I have my partner, Craig, and he helps me out a lot. So especially over this last kind of six months to a year, he's been trying to be kind of my manager 
and just to basically help me and, and relieve me of some of the, the, the heavier stresses, um, such as, you know, literally emailing and replying to many, because I get so many emails, Instagram messages, Facebook messages uh, from people that could be clients, our clients, you know, just or just people that want to say thanks for, for you know, for my work or whatever, some really nice messages. So yeah, stress is definitely something I personally struggle with. And yeah, it looks like the thing to get over stress is just to have a world pandemic. So, you know, if we could just, no, I don't want to keep this up. I need to, I need to get back to work. <laughs> so if I dilute that slightly, I think too much work is definitely a stressor <laughs> and less work is possibly helping with stress. I think it's a definitely a, um, a balancing act. It's, it's taken me a few years to get used to it. But I think I'm slowly getting my head around it and, and thinking, okay, I think this is more or less how, how I can uh, relax and work at the same time. You've also had the stage where you were building your career. So you almost couldn't afford to say no because you were building the client list, you were getting your name out there. And I'm sure it must have felt that every time you said no, if you had to, it felt like a missed opportunity and, and one step backwards. Exactly. Um, so especially like I, I, there was a point where I thought that I would, I'd feel successful once I'd done a shoot abroad. That was my, okay, I, I will feel like I'm a you know a professional photographer when I've done a, a shoot out of the UK. And I had a couple of shoots come my way and they were some you know, fairly big shoots actually. And, but I had other things already booked in that I couldn't cancel. They were either other clients or, you know, booked holidays and yeah, it was, I just felt really disappointed. I thought I'm never going to get that opportunity again or not for a long time. It's, you know, I barely get them as it is. So that was a bit of a disappointment. And so now it's, it's still difficult to kind of accept that I think I've become established enough in what I do to be able to trust that I will get work. It's still a fear. I think as a, as a freelancer, I'll never truly uh, let go of. And which is good because it also keeps you motivated because it makes sure that you think, okay, no, I can't get lazy. I can't just slack and think, yeah, this will be fine. I do still have to hunt for inspiration and, and, and feel that motivation. And it's great when I get a shoot, such that one, a shoot that scares me a little bit because I think, okay, I want to do well on this. So for example, shooting, you know, the, the formula one guys, it's, I think, oh, this is quite a big shoot. Okay, how much, let, let me inspire myself. And, you know, I really look into researching what, what inspires me and, you know, other, other people's work and think, okay, I'm going to try that, I'm going to try that. And, yeah, that kind of sparks you back into action rather than either getting lazy or freaking out the other end. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big believer in balance. It, it shows up a lot in, in life. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, I'm so glad you mentioned motivation because I wanted to ask you, how do you keep learning? How do you keep growing as, you know, do you go from shoot to shoot with different expectations or is it more of you're looking back year on year and you see how far you've come? And you also, do you end up looking at older photos and see, you know, your style might have changed or has your work process changed, you know, to reflect the evolution as you're getting further and further into your career? Yes, it's definitely something that can be difficult because sometimes it's um, like I'll look at other people's work and you get really inspired by some and others you'll think, oh, I feel rubbish in comparison. And it's a, a quote that I throw up in, in loads of, of talks that I do is comparison is the thief of joy. And I think I have to keep reminding myself of that with with so much. And so when I look at these other people's work, I think, okay, no, I feel really inspired by, you know, this person, that person, and that keeps me motivated and growing. But also, as you said, looking back at my old work and to see how far I've come, it sometimes frustrates me as well, because I feel like I'm so 
better equipped now. I feel so much more knowledgeable and I've got so much more experience and I do feel like I could do some of these previous shoots better, which can be a frustration. But also, yeah, it, it, is, it is great because I just think, no, I, I you know, I can... I could definitely, given an opportunity like that, I feel much better prepared going into that. Whereas at that time, I was freaking out because I will have probably never done something like that before. Like my first big commercial job, I was working for Lexus. And I was like, man, I've if this was a, a shoot in LA. I had a team of people and I was, I think, 25, 26. And yeah, that was like, that was probably one of my scariest jobs I think I've ever done. But now I know. After, but I came back from that fl- from that on that flight, and I thought I have done the scariest thing I think I've ever done in my life. I feel like I could do anything now. So um, that was a real motivation. And so I think, yeah, to 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 be motivated and to grow would definitely to be like taken out of your comfort zone. So um, yeah, again, the the Formula One drivers was it's, that's pure portraiture, where I have total control over the situation, and and with people who are used to being photographed. And again, it's like um, I shot uh, the model David Gandhi as well. That was a a motor, that was a, a definitely a growth kind of shoot because I thought, okay, I'm shooting somebody who knows how to be shot, and how. And I, I'm not used to that. So that, that was a bit of a weird one for me and a joy, actually. But um, yeah, and in, in doing things that you're not used to is definitely, or, you know, that scares you is, is the way to, to grow and be motivated for sure. And then towards, towards that as well, how do you then define success for yourself? This was a really hard one, a really hard question to think about. So I actually wrote an article recently of what is the definition of success and it was for a photography magazine. And so I really thought about it. I thought, well, truly, if it comes down to photography, success is enjoying what you do, like really enjoying what you do, or at least for 80% of the time, enjoying the the, the shooting process and, and what you're producing. But then I thought, you know what, sometimes, especially at this, you know, at the moment, success is purely getting through the day and not crying because you think, Oh, I, I, I will. I'm okay. Actually, this is going fine. <laughs> so, um, so especially, yeah. There's, there are some days when, if I'm super, super busy, super stressed, I'll just get to my hotel room, or whatever, and I'll be homesick, and I just want to eat all the cake, and just think, oh, I'm really struggling on this. And then there'll be some days where I'm like, I nailed today. I really enjoyed it, and this was also a success. So I think, yeah, success is both um, yeah, professionally and emotionally and physically can vary from, from day to day. And yeah, I think as long as you are enjoying things for 80% of the time, that's for, that for me is a success. One of my big feelings of success that I felt as, as a moment was when I got a mortgage for my first house because I thought that was something I would never, as a photographer, be able to do. So that when I when I picked up the keys for my first home, I was like, I did it. <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. That's a big goal. That's a really big goal. Yeah, to yeah definitely. What about competition? Obviously, because I come from a motorsport background, unfortunately, competitions become infused in me. And I, I, I look at everything in terms of actually, am I competing or is this a good thing or is this a, a negative thing for me? So how do you feel competition in your industry? And do you even, do you compare yourself? I mean, you've mentioned comparing to other photographers, but does that, do you have to compete for the same shoot? Do you have to compete for the same company? And is that good? Is that bad? How? how yeah. How do you feel it? It's 
most of the time I don't feel too threatened, I guess, from the comparison side of things, because all the photographers that I talk to and, and you know, we're all, we're, a lot of us are friends in, in the car photography. It's a very small world. We all know each other and we're all friends, but we all have our own individual skills. And that is the thing I think that I just feel quite comfortable. I'm like, no, I know I'm good at what I do. I know I'm not good at what they do. They are amazing at that. And we, I kind of, you know, you feel comfortable and confident in your strengths. And I suppose the thing that I sometimes struggle with is if there's someone that does appear who I know is good and who it looks very similar to my own work. And I think, hmm, okay, then this this feels a bit too too close. But I think that's down to purely my own insecurities about myself more so than, than any form of kind of competition. Because if somebody is good and, it, you know, these people are good, then they deserve to get the work that they have. And so I do try to use it as a motivation and a, you know, like kind of a, because I like a little bit of competition. And it's like, if you're going for a run, you think, oh, the person next to me is about the same height, weight, age, build, and they're a bit faster than me. I think, oh, hang on, I can go faster than you. And you just kind of, it's it's a good way to keep you going. And again, not to get too lazy or to, to yeah, feel like it, this is, you know, some people say, oh, you know, it's so easy that you don't have to go hunting for work too much. And, you know, work just comes to me. It is. But it could also be a little bit dangerous because I think, yeah, you know, I'll just get work because, you know, even though I'm a bit scared, I won't. I know I will. But if I didn't, I thought, oh, it's it's a way to, yeah, definitely keep pushing myself to to keep motivated and to. It, I think it's healthy. That's definitely what I'd go for. It's healthy. That's a good answer. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's your proudest moment so far in your career? Have you had one and did you get to celebrate it? Ooh, I definitely had some, yeah, some proud moments. I think primarily actually it would be when I had a um I've been using a Nikon camera since I was 16 that's my first camera was Nikon and so that is a camera I've always used and then on my birthday in I think 2016 it would have been I got a phone call and it was like hey this is uh this is Sarah from from Nikon and we'd like to chat to you and I thought ooh what's this about? And uh, yeah, basically they said, they're like, we'd like to see if you want to become an ambassador for us, uh, for, our, for for the Nikon UK. And yeah, I was the youngest, at the time, the youngest ambassador that they'd ever had. And yeah, I was ambassador for them for three years and because they kind of, they keep people on for, for two to three years. And so, yeah, they kept me for, for three years basically. And I think for me to, to get that kind of yeah was was really special it was like this this company this of this brand that has built my own company has put faith in me and and wants me to represent them was a real I don't know I think heartwarming moment for me so yeah that was a that was a proud moment and then I went to I had so I had to do um multiple talks on their stage at the photography show last year a couple years back and on the side of their stand I don't know this must have been like 12 foot by 15 foot or something they had one of my images that I'd taken blown up massive and I was like whoa that's cool and there's a picture of me just standing underneath this this massive it was that it was a top-down shot of a of a Jaguar d-type and I was like that that is cool to, to see my picture like bigger than a billboard basically and I was like yeah really proud of that how do you deal with that actually because Again, the more, I mean, I know, I know this intrinsically, but actually the more I listen to you, it's making it more real. You're a photographer and yet you're having to spend so much time talking about being a photographer, sometimes on stage, sometimes on a podcast, sometimes, you know, all sorts of things. How how do you deal with that? You didn't sign up for that. How do you learn how to cope? Oh man, it's, um, it's tough because I... I constantly feel like I ha- don't know everything about photography and I will openly admit that and I don't know everything about cars. And then there are people that are like, well, listen to you talk about these things. And I'm like, but but don't trust me. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm learning myself. And then I'd have to think about it. I step back and I think, actually, no, of all the experience that I have had and all the things that I have done, I think I know a, a, you know a fair amount now. And it just feels a bit scary to, to trust myself and, and my, my own opinion, I guess, because I still don't feel like I know everything. I still feel like I'm winging it and that I'm just kind of like grasping onto whatever I can and, and to keep going. And um, yeah, but then I, I, yeah, I do think about it and look at it from, from a, a bit of a, a stand back point of view. And I think, no, I, I have got a lot of experience in this. And I, I think actually I, I, I do know a bit more about you know, what I do, I don't know everything. And I will openly admit that still don't won't ever know it. But what I do know, I can talk about in depth and with confidence, I think. And I think just being able to say, I don't know everything. And that is totally okay. And reminding yourself because there will definitely be people in whatever you do that tell you, no, the fact you don't know that is not okay. And you've got to kind of remind, like remind yourself, no, it is okay, actually, and screw you because it happens a lot. Like um, I got asked uh, I got asked the other the other week by by a bloke if I considered myself to be a petrol head, and I was like, well, you know, I really love cars and motorcycles, and I ride, and you know, I can, and I just really appreciate the the design and adventure, but I, I'm not interested if somebody opens up a bonnet, and I'm like, I don't want to look at someone's engine and be like, oh yeah, that's an engine, and 
he said to me, oh, you're obviously not a real petrol head than are you? And I was like, oh, well, I kind of felt like I am. You know, do I have to count the rivets on a Alfa Romeo P3 to be able to be considered a petrol head? I, I don't know. It's like the same with photography. Do you have to know every single thing there is to do about photography in its entirety to be considered a you know professional photographer? And I don't think you do. And I think there's so much pressure that's put on to people, especially especially women, really, that that is like, if you do something wrong, or you don't know everything, oh, you know, you're not you're not good at that thing. And then I do, there's no room for mistakes. And it's, especially in the the automotive world, I think can be very difficult to kind of be like, no, I can make mistakes, still be good at what I do. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you felt like that as well. Yeah, massively. there's There's a huge, there's huge pressure full stop. But there's also the expectation that well, there's the saying, isn't there? If you're a woman, you have to work twice as hard to prove yourself. Yeah. And I'd love for that not to be true. I really, yeah, I cannot wait for the time when that is completely irrelevant and not even worth a mention. But unfortunately, yes, that is still out there and you have to work very hard. And as far as mistakes are concerned, luckily for me, I've always worked in team environments, not just a Formula One team, but also within agencies and and things like that. And actually you learn that you have your network, just like you have your accountant, you've got your support network and you've got your team that have your back. And that is essential that it's, it's helped me through my entire career in terms of having a safe environment in which I could make a mistake, which wasn't always the case. There was at times when I was working where if I made a mistake, that would be thrown in my face and used against me. And the worst working environment you could think of and and definitely affecting mental health and and growth and everything you could think of but it doesn't last but the more you progress the more you learn what you want around you in terms of being able to succeed and you're very careful about making sure those things are there and it gets better but yeah completely you have you have to be able to make mistakes you have to have a support network to help you around it and my favorite saying to anyone that's coming through that does make a mistake is it's completely fine make mistakes but never do the same mistake twice always come up with new ones <laughs> exactly that's exactly that i don't think i've ever made the same mistake twice i just happen to find many new mistakes <laughs> absolutely i like to keep myself entertained and the only way to do that is to keep messing up in new ways <laughs> every mistake you learn something new so there's always bonuses in it just have to get over the mistake what about actually this leaves me so beautifully you're doing my job for me what about any low points that you've gone through and how did you come out of them low points would probably be there was a point where I hadn't um I was just shooting weddings and I just felt like I was shooting weddings badly or um I don't know just my love for photography had totally started to die and I thought I'm not enjoying this it's it's not something I I want to to do anymore and um it took me a while to realize that it wasn't my fault that I was feeling like that and it was like sometimes photographing weddings was tough because bride and grooms have got from Pinterest or from you know online stuff they've got this this idea of their perfect wedding in their head and which is fine they can totally have that but they might not like the photographs that you produce of them because they don't like them. And it's a really sad thing to say, but I've had so many very, very self-conscious brides who do look at all of these blogs and, and think, I must I must produce that. And then they just they, they struggle to, to like photographs of themselves because of they've only ever been used to having a full control over that. And from, from my point of view, that could be very difficult on, on a like a wedding photography day because 
yeah, you you haven't got that that freedom to to you know try different angles or or have loads of time to to do things. And sometimes you've got like fifteen minutes to get some shots of the bride and groom before they've got to go to their reception dinner. And yeah, I think that side of pressure from other people's hopes and uh, yeah emotions can be can be very difficult. So that might not necessarily was a low point, but it's something I definitely struggled with. Otherwise, any other low points might be last summer I, I found very very stressful. Um, but that wasn't just because of work, but because of kind of personal things that were going on as well so Craig had had a, an accident a motorcycle accident which was um we're quite home home personally a difficult one and yeah emotionally we just moved house it was it was, all, it was very very difficult so I think there, it's hard when you have a, when you are a, a one kind of one woman band and you have to deal with the everything that's stressful at work and then also have quite a lot of stress at home and and you know I was missing my family and friends and that can be difficult but then you come out of it and you think I managed to survive that and it's all okay. And that's in the past and I'm absolutely fine now and it all works nicely. So yeah, it does also give you, make you stronger. I know it's such a cliche thing to say, but those low points do make you stronger and do make you grow and learn and adapt. And you think, okay, I can handle that. And yeah, it's uh, it turns out to be a good thing. And is that something, did that incident or, or any prior or since actually, is that something that's taught you how to manage your work-life balance better? Or are you, would you say you're still learning that one? I'm definitely still learning that one. Because the, I suppose the other slight problem, not problem, wonderful thing as well, is that the car and motorcycle world, as, lo- as well as being my job and, you know, photography, the cars, motorcycles and, and photography are also my hobby and my absolute love. So there's a very, very blurry line between where work starts and ends and where like my own life starts and ends. And that can be difficult to, 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 to kind of manage because it is a joy. So sometimes like Craig and I will go on a road trip somewhere and I, I will have borrowed a car from somebody to go in on this road trip and we'll have such an amazing time. But in the back of my mind, I think, Oh, I must remember to, uh, to get some shots of the, of the car to be able to give to the people that have lent the car to us. And, and it, it's kind of like there's the element of, of work still in me, even when I'm meant to not be working, but at the same time, yeah, I'll go in on jobs and, a lot of the time it doesn't feel like work <laughs> it feels just like I'm having a great time so yeah like in in February I was I spent 10 days in Finland and Norway and that was a hard shoot because we we were shooting a lot but it felt so fun that it did feel like some weird holiday that I just had to take lots of pictures on and I've had a few things which have felt like holidays where I've just had to photograph things and it's most of the time again it's 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 wicked fun and um yeah, it's only when you start getting really tired about six, seven days in when you've not had much sleep and you have to be shooting all the time because you're with the client. So it's not like you are completely on holiday. You can't always have a beer at night. You just think, oh, are they having a beer? Can I have a beer? <laughs> and then you think, yeah, they're having a beer. I can have one. So, uh, yeah, and it's uh, so yeah, it's a very, very blurred line. It all depends on how you class things. You're, you're like, OK, this is work time and I'm working. And then is actually this is meant to be classed as hobby. It looks exactly the same but it's a hobby <laughs> exactly that yes because this is the thing so Christmas before last I thought no I'm I'm way too stressed and I don't want to bring my cameras with me to Christmas because I just want to forget about you know what I feel is work and I got to Christmas day and I was around all my family and I just thought oh I kind of wish I had my camera to take some pictures of all this because this is this makes me happy and I want to document this and it taught me I thought no I still do have that love for photography it doesn't always feel like work it's just maybe the the environment that I'm in or what I feel inspired by or yeah whatever it has to to, I mean I I say to people if you fall out of love with photography then start photographing things that you love because 
whatever the outcome is, however good or bad the photograph, you will like the fact it's a photograph of someone or something that you love. And there is always that a positive emotion towards your work regardless. So yeah, I have to remember my own advice quite a lot. You take a camera with you no matter what. Even I find it difficult now that I've got my iPhone because I think, because oh, sometimes I won't take a camera to something and Craig will say, are you sure you, are you, sure you don't want to take a camera? I'm like, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to want to take pictures and I've got my phone and I get there and I'm like, oh, it's such a nice shot. I wish I'd just got my camera to, to, to get that. And uh, so I have started trying to take a camera with me on most things. It depends what the thing is. Sometimes if I'm going on like a nice long walk, cameras are heavy and I think, Pfft. What am I going to do with these pictures afterwards? So, um, no, but I mean, yeah, usually I'll I'll take, I've, I've got, I mean, I've got a camera next to me on my desk now. I can show you there. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll usually have a camera with me for most things. Like um, we, we've been invited to a socially distancing camping uh, night this weekend. And I know that it's going to be so lovely, like, so much fun. And, um, you know, that it'll just be really nice. And I probably will take my camera because even if I just take, you know, 10, 20 shots, I'll like those 10, 20 shots. I'm like, yeah. And I would have missed it if I didn't, if I didn't take a camera. So, um, yeah, another way I've been trying to get back into it is is also just shooting on film cameras as well for, just for personal stuff because that's still part of it. And, um, yeah, it's something I've not really done much of. So, how do you cope with that? Because it's not instant. And so you have to wait. Well, I struggle because also I finished a uh, a roll of film and then I was like, yeah, I finished it. And then I found out I hadn't ever put any film in it anyway. So everything I'd shot, I <laughs> I couldn't see. So, yep. So I'm still getting used to that. Uh, so I struggle because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And apparently sometimes the outcome is none, nothing at all. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was um, that was a bit of a disappointment. I think I then was like, oh. Um, but sometimes I have, you know what? I have got a, a Polaroid camera as well. And last night, literally last night, I was like, oh, Craig, Craig, I want to I want to send a, a letter, a nice letter to your mum, just because you know she needs a bit of you know cheering up at the minute. And I was in the letter, at the bottom of the letter, I wrote, you know, uh, P.S. Encloses a photo of us, you know, in case you forgot what we look like. Got the Polaroid camera. Guess what? No film. So, and uh, yeah, so I do struggle with the lack of film side of things. But uh, yeah, I, it's we get, last Christmas. That's what I did take. I took a Polaroid camera with me at Christmas. So I didn't take my digital camera. I took the film camera that didn't have any film and a Polaroid camera. And I have got some great images on that Polaroid camera. And they were they were fun because they were instant as well. So I've got a photograph of my my brother holding the Christmas turkey while standing on the bathroom scales because he wanted to know how long he had to cook it for. And that was the way he was doing it. So, um, yeah, it's it's still the, uh, yeah, just trying to find out what works for me, really. One of the things I love about photography, again, same, I have many different cameras. Some of them are film, some of them are Polaroid. I'm making all the mistakes as well. I love that you can pick up a digital camera and it's one experience and then you pick up a Polaroid camera and it's completely different and you use it differently and you actually see something different that will work with it. I love that. It keeps it fresh, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's weird because like people have been saying to me that, um, you know, they use uh, the, the Leica cameras and there a lot of them are manual or what they say about a manual focus. I've, I don't really know. I've not really ever used one. And then I say to them, but how are you manually focusing on your subject? Surely it's really difficult. And somebody said to me, like, no, you, you just do it in a different way. You haven't got the um, the the ease to just autofocus and capture that shot immediately. You have to 
talk to your subject a bit more and kind of make it a more of a personal thing. And I thought, yeah, that's that's true, actually. It's a completely different way of, of shooting. So, yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head, really, there. I actually, my next question was, I wanted to ask you about social media and how you feel about it and how you approach it. Social media has been like, and still is a huge, huge, like important tool for me and my work. And it also, yeah, keeps me motivated as well, because it's from also from from posting things and, and you know, showing my own work. It's also a place to get greatly inspired as well. There's a danger that, and, and I'm definitely feeling it, the, the more I think the more I, my, my social media following grows, um, the more I worry that my, my worth is based on my following more than my work, which I'm really trying not to link because sometimes people hire me and they, they kind of make it out that they're hiring me not because of my work, but because of my following. And they're like, oh, so you're going to post stuff, you know, you're going to promote us on, on your social after after the shoot. And I just think, oh, is that is that the reason why you hired me? Is it just because of that, that number? And I, it, that can be a little bit difficult, but I think they are hand in hand really I I can't have you know it's it's because I think I'm I'm you know quite good at what I do which has got my social media following but then I get the work for for my my skill from the social media following as well and so they do go hand in hand and I think it's it can sometimes be difficult to kind of separate those mentally as well and just think no actually I, I am good at what I do and yes this is a brilliant platform to be able to help me do that and um, yeah, just try and, and make sure I, I balance it that way. Um, and again, it's like if I post a picture and it doesn't go well, I have to think to myself, okay, I like that picture. Even though it didn't do well, it doesn't matter because I liked it. And then you post another picture of like, I don't know, if I post a red car, and if, especially if it's a Ferrari, it'll get loads of loads of likes and followers and from it. And or a Porsche, that's another one. They they do really well. And so if it's, sometimes if I'm like, oh, I've not not had any good likes recently, I'll just post an easy one just to kind of bump that back up again. <laughs> so, but that's really as you know, it's a dangerous thing to do because you don't. Again, I don't want to base my my self, you know, happiness or worth on whether a buddy posted well or not because that's really sad and pathetic. So. <laughs> um yeah no I have to sometimes give myself a reality check and be like no that is a good picture even though it didn't get very many likes so um yeah it's um it's a funny one it's I, I most of the time I'm I'm getting used to being pretty chilled out with it um and it's opened up so many opportunities to me that I'm eternally grateful for so I would like to know if somebody's listening that looks at your career and would very much like to follow in your footsteps, although I suspect you'll tell them don't follow, make your own path. But if they're inspired by the work that you do, uh, what advice would you give them? Absolutely. The easiest bit of advice would have to be you be passionate in whatever you do. You have to be passionate because I think that's part of the the reason why I've I've kind of got to where I am is because I wasn't doing it because I thought I want to be a photographer and this is how I'm going to do it and I've set this path out or five year ten year plan. It's because I was doing something that I loved genuinely loved and that got me through every difficult hurdle that I, I had to try and get through. It's because. You know, it's it, sometimes you do things because you have to, and sometimes you do them because you want to. But if the the majority of the time it's because you are passionate and you love the thing you do, then you will come out better because of it. It's like I I once met a guy that was like, I really want to be a car photographer. So I was chatting away to him, and then he was like, But you know, I really I love golf, and I, I like I'm getting really into like semi professional golfing. I'm like, Well, which one would you want to do, golfing or photography? He was like, Or which one would you give up, basically, because it's your passion, basically 
it just it, it it completely takes over my life and I'm happy for it to do that but that is how I think you end up becoming successful because you want to put your all your absolute all into what you're doing and um yeah he was like no nah, like golf too much which is totally cool he can go off and be a golfer but I, I, yeah I think it is down to yeah truly it, it, this is the other thing like if I have kids and they say to me, mom, I really like motorcycles and I like riding them and I want to do this as a career. I would say go and do it because if you, if, you know, if somebody really loves to do something that even if they don't know how they're going to make money from it, they, you find a way to do it because it becomes your entire life and no job is ever, ever, ever perfect. It's never going to be perfect all the time. But if you can be pretty perfect, then that's a win. And to be get to be able to get paid to do your passion, and in my case, you know, photography, it's um, it's a, it's hard. It really is hard, and it's the love that does keep you going and keeps your foot, you know, one in front of the other. What about advice that you've received? Is there something that someone's told you or that you've read somewhere that you've actually carried with you the whole time? Hmm, advice I've received, I think probably to not take anything kind of too personally or too to heart. And that's really difficult, especially when it is something that you're producing and, and your whether it is your, your um, I don't know, so your, yourself as a person um, or my, my, in my case, my work that I'm, I'm producing, it's, it's an element of vulnerability and it's very difficult to, to show people that I think, and to kind of accept the rejections that you do get as well. So to be told that, you know, your work isn't what somebody wants or um, I, I, like, you know, which is totally fine. People won't, or not everybody's is going to like the, my work or me. And I struggle with that. But I think it's if, yeah, if people, people are like, you know, just don't care about the, the people that you care about and that you, you know, that, that matter basically. And I think there's another great quote, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, no, that's totally true. I, I don't have to like, again, Instagram, someone might, might give like, send me a message saying, or write on a, on a, on a picture. Oh yeah. It's not that good a shot or, you know, it's, you're just all right, I guess. And you just think, oh, oh, that's, that's a bullet to the heart. And you just got to think, you know what? I don't care about you. I like what I'm doing. I'm happy. A lot of other people like it and focus on that. So, um, yeah, as, as humans, our human nature is to focus on the negative. And, you know, there's a survival instinct. It's what's kept us alive for forever. And so to suddenly try to ignore that is a very, you know, it's it's not in our biology to, to ignore negativity. So it's um it's something difficult, but it's definitely, you know, worthwhile to, to try and ignore it. Or at least if, if you don't ignore it, take it on board. It, it might be a way to grow and to get better. If someone's like, that's way overexposed or whatever. You might think, yeah, you know what actually is really overexposed. I should probably change that. It could be something benefit like good, but most of the time it's not. So just don't let it, yeah, get to you too much, I think, is, is probably the advice I was given most. It is really good advice. I, I live I live by that one as well. Especially when I'm reading all of the social media comments that go to a team. They can be um they can be quite heated and I have to remember they're not for me. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. But you must take, it's difficult not to take it personally. Totally. I've got down to the end of my page and I'm about to ask you the last question. It's felt like such a treat and I could speak to you all day, as you know. So my last question to you, Amy, is fairly simple, but I suspect this, the answer is not going to be that simple. What are you looking forward to? 
primarily at the moment working, which is a funny one because I don't often look forward to working because it's still work and I still think, oh, okay, I've got to make sure I do that. But right now it's, I've had, you know, 11 weeks since my, my last shoot. And if that's the longest, I think in my life, unless we have another pandemic or, you know, even, even if I had a child, I don't think I'd take 11 weeks off work. So, um, or if I try not to. So I think getting back into it would be, yeah, is the thing I'm looking forward to most because it's, I know it's still something that I'm used to doing and it's part of, of me. I feel it's a big side of my own identity and without it, I, I struggle a little bit, I think. And yeah, that's probably what I'm looking forward to most because again, in the in the car world and in the racing world, there's all of my friends and I haven't seen these people for, you know, I'm used to seeing them a few times a year at different events. And I mean, you must feel the same as well that you see loads of people you know and you think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've missed seeing these people. So I think seeing my friends in the racing or the automotive world is something I'm looking forward to as well. Amy, thank you so, so, so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I can't believe it's finished. I know. Thank you so much for having having me on. And I can't wait to listen to the, the rest of the episodes now that I know you're live, which is very exciting and a massive well done to you so far with what you've done. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. A huge thank you to Amy for being this week's guest. She's absolutely brilliant to speak to and I hope you enjoyed listening to her. I really wanted to bring you somebody that doesn't actually work in motorsport full time, that's more involved in something outside but dips into motorsport and just to show you what that's like as well and what her story was like. She's on Instagram. Of course, she's on Instagram. I feel like I'm promoting everybody's Instagram account, but it truly is the easiest way to find people these days. Her account is Amy Shaw Photography. Um, do go check it out. And of course, there's plenty of photos of Daniel and Esteban because that's who she was invited to go take photos of. As ever, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review if that function is available on that platform. It helps people find us, but it also means so much. And you know I'll be reading all of them. You can also get in touch directly if you'd like via my Instagram account, which is Pandia, P-A-N-D-E-A. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.